Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women came unto the cave, bringing the spices which they had prepared to anoint him. And they found the stone rolled away from the cave. And they entered in and found not the body of Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments, and as the women were afraid and bound down their faces to the earth, the men said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? This Easter sermon is my answer to the question, do you believe in resurrection? After Argentina's military coup in 1976, after that coup, people deemed to be subversives began to disappear. They disappeared if they raised their fists, raised their voices, raised their eyebrows. They disappeared if they sang freedom songs, joined a union, worked to alleviate poverty, hunger, literacy. They were seen with the wrong people at the wrong time. This was Argentina's so-called dirty war. As many as 30,000 people disappeared, and a Spanish word was created, los desaparecidos, the disappeared. Mothers looked for their children and sought answers, but were repudiated by officials. Azuceno Villaflor de Vicente, whose son Nestor was among the disappeared, convinced 13 other mothers to do the bravest thing they'd ever done. On April 30th, 1977, at a time when all public demonstrations were forbidden, they gathered in the Plaza de Mayo because it was illegal for more than three people to stand together in a public place. Week after week, the women walked slowly around the plaza. Six months later, they paid for an ad in La Prensa with photos of 237 of their disappeared children and the names of the mothers under the headline, We do not ask for anything more than the truth. Ten days later, they marched on Congress carrying a petition with 24,000 signatures demanding an investigation into the disappearances. On December 10th, Azucena Villaflor de Vicente was abducted from her home and disappeared. But the mothers were undaunted. They reappeared in the Plaza de Mayo wearing white scarves embroidered with the names of their disappeared children. They came to be known as Las Madres de la Plaza. Six years later, Argentina inaugurated a democratically elected government. 
the mothers, now grandmothers, have continued their work. And now when they gather, they call out the names of their disappeared children, and the crowds respond, Presente, present. The spirit of your child is present. Presente, may the spirit of the dead animate the living. Presente, let this be the inspiration for our work for justice. Do you believe in resurrection? Los desaparecidos, presente. In the spring of our senior year at college, my friend Dory Fuchs was diagnosed with advanced non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. It was dire, and that time that should have been so joyful was a wash in tears. Somehow, Dory survived a huge, life-saving surgery and arrived back on campus just in time to be wheeled across the stage to receive her diploma. The entire student body rose as one and cheered and cheered and cheered. I remember the rush as our families and friends behind us rose, many of them with no idea why, but each understanding that they were bearing witness to something truly extraordinary. Dory and I stayed in touch, more so after her husband Gareth joined the Unitarian Universalist Congregation in Birmingham, Alabama, and became members of the leadership there. It was one of her greatest joys to be a delegate to General Assembly in Providence. We met on a street corner brimming with excitement. She told Kem and me how thrilled she was to be meeting up with Gareth and heading on to Paris. I so clearly remember thinking, Dory is a miracle, and she has never forgotten it. She never takes a single moment for granted. It was impossible not to be in her presence, not to be uplifted. And then in Paris, she contracted a deadly meningitis. Updates from Gareth never offered any hope that she would survive. In half a lifetime, Dory Fuchs lived more than a lifetime. And now, in moments when I might be tempted to give in to feeling discouraged, I think of Dory and change my mind. Do you believe in resurrection? Dory Fuchs, presente. Author and psychotherapist Francis Weller writes, the work of the mature person is to carry grief in one hand and gratitude in the other and to be stretched large by them. If I carry only grief, I will bend towards cynicism and despair. If I have only gratitude, I'll become saccharine and won't develop much compassion for other people's suffering. Grief keeps the heart fluid and soft, which helps make compassion possible. 
1985, I arrived in Provincetown to serve our congregation there at precisely the same moment as the virus that causes AIDS arrived to decimate it. Normally, a small fishing village and artist colony that during the summer months swelled to 10 times its size with tourists, many of them seeking refuge from the homophobia of the larger culture, soon had among the highest per capita AIDS cases in the country, almost all impossibly young gay men. For the next six years, the virus was 100% deadly. At least once a week, driving a short stretch of highway to the iconic meeting house in the center of town, I stopped at a little gas station called Jack's, just a single pump and a tiny shelter set on a huge lot where the primary source of income was firewood, although they also sold frozen Milky Ways and free Cape Cod air. Jack's was a full-service station, which one can appreciate a lot in New England weather. And the sole proprietor, Dick Aiken, and I always exchanged a few words. Before long, we really talked. Dick had been there for 25 years. Jack's was rumored to have been the subject of American painter Edward Hopper's iconic oil-on-canvas painting, Gas. Dick was clearly well-educated. He said he'd been a minister and the headmaster of a prestigious New England boarding school. I'm not sure what happened. As he told me stories, his kindness shone through, and it became apparent that our jobs were not so different, really. He had loved his students and faculty. He loved his customers. And th when things were hard for them, it was hard on him. Dick always, always made a point of asking me how I was holding up. I felt he really wanted to know, really understood, and was glad, even grateful, to support me. One warm evening after a long day, when yet another young member of my congregation had gone deaf overnight, and it wasn't an ear infection. I stopped for gas. I was exhausted, and my eyes were brimming with tears. I remember Dick reaching his giant hand through the driver's side window and laying it on my shoulder. I know, he said, I know. Fourteen years after I left for Boston, Jack's burned down in a suspicious fire. Someone pulled out the gas pump and took down the little shelter. There's still a woodlot on the land, though, in the trace of the gas station driveway. When I drive past it now, I remember Dick, remember his caring and kindness. I carry him in my heart someone who helped carry me through those difficult days. Do you believe in resurrection? Dick Aiken, presente.
One more story. In December of 1988, when Brian Flynn was 19 years old, his brother JP was on his way home from studying in London. He never made it. A bomb on board Pan Am Flight 103 exploded over Lockerbie, Scotland. It had a huge effect on my life, says Brian. JP was the type of man who would have made a difference. His death made me think, what are you going to do with your life to make a difference? When a friend needed a kidney, he thought, why don't I see if I'm a match? He was, but his friend's husband ended up being her donor. Five years went by. When he turned 50, Brian Flynn's wife, Brian told his wife, I'm feeling healthy, maybe I really should give somebody a kidney. Their daughter's basketball coach's brother, 23-year-old Greg Dentise, had been living with kidney failure since he was 11. They were a match. Brian wasn't anxious about the surgery. I was more worried for Greg and hoping it would work, he says. Knowing that someone's life is going to be saved helps make it not be about you. The morning after the transplant, Brian walked into Greg's room where his family and his fiance were weeping with gratitude. I mean, says Brian, I cry at a good night commercial. But yeah, it was very emotional. It was a profound moment. Greg says, Brian saved my life. But he also changed my outlook on the world, just to know there are good people out there who would do this for someone. Not long afterward, Greg jokingly texted Brian about being a liver donor. A part of a living donor's liver is transplanted and re regenerates in about a year's time. Are you going to do this next? Greg teased. Brian's close friend and spiritual mentor, Father Philip Bowen, had recently died of COVID-19. Father Phil had been a guiding light in my life, says Brian. He spent his entire life serving the poor. I was thinking about the pandemic and thinking, maybe I can try to do something extraordinary and try to do it twice. Not far away, Melissa and Richard Ramirez had been devastated by the news that their goofy, high-spirited four-year-old Richie had a genetic condition that was causing his liver to fail. He was our miracle baby, they said, born after their third and final round of IVF. The Ramirez's who carried the deficient gene couldn't donate. But then in October, they received a call saying there was a perfect match with an anonymous donor. They were shocked that a total stranger would make such a sacrifice. Who knew there were amazing people who would do something like this, says Melissa. I remember crying, knowing that somewhere there was this person. Brian remained anonymous until after the successful transplant. When he told the Ramirez's social worker that he was open to correspondence, Melissa wrote him a letter from Richie's bedside. 
Brian sobbed when he opened it. I was just overwhelmed, he says, overwhelmed with gratitude that it happened and that Richie was okay. And hearing his story and how difficult it was living with this disease and what his parents had been going through, it really was just a great moment in my life. Melissa says, last week in school, they did a lesson about neighborhood heroes. All the kids were writing thank you notes to doctors and fires, and Richie says, my hero is Brian. But Brian Flynn says he's the one who's grateful. The idea of saving a life is tremendous, but it's also tremendous how it can make you feel and how it can make your life better. Beloved spiritual companions, do you believe in resurrection? Father Philip Bowen, presente. J.P. Flynn, presente. Dick Aiken, presente. Dory Fuchs, presente. The Disappeared, Los Desaparecitos, presente. And for the one who taught us, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine. Love one another. Let us say together, presente, 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 amen. And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart in namaste. I bow to the divine in you. Our benediction is from Donna Markova. I will not die an unlived life. I will not live in fear of falling or catching fire. I choose to inhabit my days, to allow my living to open me, to make me less afraid, more accessible, to loosen my heart until it becomes a wing a torch, a promise. I choose to risk my significance, to live, so that which came to me as seed goes on to the next as blossom, and that which came to me as blossom goes on as fruit. Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. Happy Easter. I love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, Please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.